Today's reading is from John chapter 12, verse 20 to 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. With a request, sir, they said, we would like to, to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, to be, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, but anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be my father. But honour the one who serves me. There we go. Johnny, thank you very much. Here, I can't believe you're all here on a Friday night. You know the Ryder Cup's on? Rugby's on? It's really impressive. There we go. Okay. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we're going to we're going to be looking at this passage in different ways over the weekend, but we're going to take a few minutes tonight to look at it. Um, so let's be still. Father, you speak to us in so many different ways, and we want to say we love your word. Being committed to this book is part of who we are as your people in this place. And we pray Holy Spirit, make these words come alive in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You all doing okay? It feels a wee bit cooler. It feels like the air cones drop things a little bit. You do, you know, yeah? Feeling better? Okay, good, 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 good. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, how did you feel walking into the room tonight in church? How did you feel? Did you feel excited? Did you feel full of anticipation? Did you feel like you were coming in to connect with people you know and love and that this was a really cool time for you? You wouldn't use the word cool, but you know what I mean. Or did you feel anxious? Does walking into a crowd, any crowd, this crowd perhaps cost you something and feel hard and feel difficult. You want to be here, but it's not easy. Or maybe, maybe it's painful coming into this place. Maybe there's been things that have been happened or said that have hurt you, and it's taken a lot for you to be able to find the grace to forgive and to step back in. Maybe something totally different. I want to put a picture up on the screen tonight. What do you think? Isn't that good? Do you know what it is? It's a church. Well done. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a simple drawing of the church. But what I want you to do in your imagination, I want you to place yourself on this picture. There's four options. So little stick people, you know, are the options. Maybe you feel like you are really committed to the people in this church and they are committed to you, that you love them and they love you. You feel a sense of real belonging to the community 
of Orange Field. And that's the case. I want you to imagine yourself right in the center where the communion table is right now tonight. Maybe, though, that's not your story. Maybe you um, have been coming here for a while. Maybe you've been coming here your whole life, but you, you, you just don't feel like you've ever broken in. Maybe you feel like even still you're on the fringe of it. In which case, I want you just to picture yourself, little dude at the back behind the sign desk. This has nothing to do with where you actually sit, by the way. I want to clarify that. Because you all have your own seats, I get that. Um, and we've closed the galleries tonight, so that's thrown a few of you into a tailspin, going, oh, panicking. But you get what I'm saying. So maybe you're in the center, maybe you're just would love to have deeper relationships here but you still feel on the outside of the circle or on the fringe. Or, or, or maybe you're just fairly new to Orangefield. You've, you've joined during COVID or recently, and you've taken a step in through the door, but you're not quite sure how to take the next step. You're not quite sure what welcome looks like and what belonging looks like. You hear the language, but it doesn't feel like your experience. Or, or, or maybe, and let's be honest, maybe you've been here for a while and it's slipping away. Maybe your faith feels like it's slipping. Maybe the relationships feel like they're slipping. Maybe something's happened. Be honest. Maybe actually you find yourself with one foot out the door. And you haven't left yet, but you're not quite sure where your place is or if you have a place or if you even want a place with people in this place. Take a minute and orientate yourself I want to tell you a story. Um, our son Archie, he's not here tonight. He's down with his grandparents. Um, Vision weekend or being spoiled by granny. It was a no-brainer for him. Sorry, he rejected all of you. Um, Archie, for Christmas last year, got an Alexa. So he thinks this is the best thing ever. It took him a while to get onto it because he, he would just shout at it really quickly and in a Northern Irish accent, and the, the Alexa had no idea what was happening. Um, but it started to, to figure out his voice, and, and now it's really cute, it's really sweet. You'll walk in and he'll say, Alexa, how are you today? <laughs> and you'll walk in and Alexa will be singing um, songs and Archie will be singing songs with the Alexa. If you're happy and you know it, clap your And we'll try, we'll, try, we'll try to record him. And as soon as he sees it, no, no, no. And he'll, he'll run away from it. And he does also, you know, he'll, he'll ask Alexa to play all these songs and tell him jokes, do all this stuff. It's really, really sweet. It's ridiculously sweet. But there's a shadow side to it as well. There's a dark side to it because Archie has autism and has developmental delay. And those things mean that he really struggles to develop and maintain friendships and relationships with other people. He doesn't function in relationship the way other people maybe function in relationship. He still needs friendships. He still needs people in his life. He still needs community. He still needs people around him. But it's easier for him to build a friendship with an AI artificial intelligence than it is for him to build a relationship with a real person. It's interesting. 
I want to talk for a minute about loneliness, about isolation. You know, 47% of Americans, when surveyed, say they feel isolated and lonely some or most of the time. You go, that's Americans. Similar survey revealed that one in three people in Northern Ireland feel exactly the same way. Alone and lonely some or most of the time. We all remember the story on the back of COVID when the British um, Prime Minister appointed, or government appointed a loneliness minister to help build people, and, or build community and bring people into community out of isolation. It's Freshers' Week, or it's been Freshers' Week for our university students. Queens were on the radio the other day, and you can see it on their website. They now offer advice for students on how to build friends because they recognize that after COVID pandemic and isolation and being stuck in your house on a computer, people are struggling to interact with each other. People are struggling to interact with each other. We have this social anxiety. Do you, have any of you felt that? It's hard to walk into a room into a crowd. We've lost our confidence to meet new people. We've lost our confidence of what they'll think of us. Not everyone, but for some of you, maybe this is resonating tonight. And a lot of the talk feels like it's, oh, we had this COVID pandemic, and now on the back of it, there's social anxiety and loneliness and, and fear. And that's been the reason, that's been the cause of it. But it's much bigger than that. It's been going for much longer than that. You can trace it right back to the Enlightenment when the celebration of individual ideas started to rise to the surface and then move through to the Industrial Revolution. And you see the, the geographical deconstruction of the family unit. Families moved apart and individuals moved to the city and away from family because they wanted to get work. And the city was where work was and family unit changed and people had to build new family units and, had, and then track the story on through. You have unions, trade unions and workers' rights of the 1950s changing that idea of individual rights. Look at the sexual revolution of the 60s. Me and my rights. And fast forward to today and you see social media algorithms that are designed to narrow and to narrow and to narrow your, your field of engagement so you find yourself only engaging online with people who think the same things you think and are outraged at the same things you're outraged by and vote the same way you vote. And the first time somebody gets it wrong, what do you do? You send it on follow, you cancel them. And our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. In 2013, there was a Hollywood film release called Her, H-E-R, about uh, a guy who downloaded an operating system that was an artificial intelligence and fell in love with this artificial intelligence. And everybody went, that's ridiculous. And now I watch my son find it easier to form a friendship with an AI than with a human person. Is that the trajectory we're on? past 200 years, we've moved from community to tribal to individualistic. And yet we are created for deep, deep connections. We're not created to be on our own. The story of the Bible tells us that when God was creating the world, he created human in his image. He created Adam. 
And yet no suitable partner could be found for Adam in all of creation. So God created Eve. He created woman to sit alongside man because humans are created to be in community. Now you could take that text and that sermon in all kinds of ways about relationships and sex and sexuality. That's not where we're going tonight. What I want you to see is that we are created for community. We are created for deep connection with each other. And yet we live in a culture that is making that more and more difficult. It is dehumanizing. So much so that three months ago, the Surgeon General in America pronounced loneliness as an epidemic. She said, we live in a culture that is out of sync with our deepest needs. We are created for community, and yet the way society has been going and it's accelerating, we are becoming more and more individualistic in every way. Loneliness is the symptom, it's not the problem. The systemic problem is disconnection. The world feels it. And you see the implications of it in so many ways, but the church is not immune to it. And that is why it is possible for you to have been a member here for a week or for 60 years and to walk into this crowded room tonight and still feel anxious and still feel vulnerable and still feel lonely in the midst of a crowd. Is this tracking with anybody? Does it resonate with you? What I want to talk about tonight is, is, is the first part of our vision. Deeply connected. Deeply connected to one another. Or very simply, with. With each other, not alone. With each other. God's dream for community. This passage that Johnny read for us so well, thank you, Johnny. Uh, John 20, 20. 425, the, the verses around it as well. It's quoted loads, isn't it? You've heard, hands up, who's heard it before? You've heard it before? Yeah, there we go. Most of you have. The rest of you weren't brave enough to put your hand up. That's okay. Don't worry. Um, the context is fascinating. Jesus is three years deep into ministry. He has just been anointed at Bethany. Mary Magdalene's come and cracked the jar of perfume open on his on his, on his feet, on his head, she's wept and dried his feet with her, or dried his feet with her hair. It's a beautiful story, preparing him for what's coming next. He has got on the donkey and ridden into Jerusalem, the Palm Sunday story. Everybody's going mad, going, Jesus, we love you. Hosanna, Hosanna. And we know where the story's going. It's going to the cross. And Jesus knows where the story is going. He knows he's going to the cross to fulfill the purpose for which he came. And, and, and somewhere in that, between Palm Sunday and, and the crucifixion, we have this encounter where Philip and Andrew come across these Greek guys who say, we'd love to meet Jesus. We've heard about him. We'd love to meet him. These great guys, they're, most commentators believe that they're, they're Gentiles. Of course they are. They've come to the city because it's festival time. They may have a Jewish faith, but if they do, they're converts to Judaism. They're, they're Gentiles, which means they are separated 
from Jews and they are separated from certain rights and opportunities to worship God in the temple. They are allowed to come so close, but really they're kept on the outside looking in. They say, Jesus, we want to meet you. And Jesus, being full of love, being full of grace, being full of compassion, being the awesome guy that he is, Philip and Andrew come and say, we've got these couple of guys who who really want to meet you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, the hour has come. If it feels strange to you, his response, it should. It should feel strange to you. Is Jesus being rude? These guys come, they really want to meet him. He says, the hour has come. Doesn't feel like a direct response to what they're asking, does it? Is he being rude? Is he ignoring them? Let's assume he's Jesus and he is unfailing love and compassion, so he's probably not ignoring them. There's something else going on. Jesus, these Greek guys really want to meet you. The hour has come. Is he, is, is he just been really driven? He's so motivated. He's so fixated on the mission the Father has given him that he has to go to the cross and become the sacrificial lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world. He's so driven. He's so motivated. He just has to blank out everything around him and go for it. Does that sound like Jesus? I'm not convinced. See, I want to suggest that they come to him, Jesus, these Greek guys that want to meet you, and Jesus says, the hour has come. And he tells this story about a grain of wheat that falls in the ground. But unless it does, it remains alone. But if it falls in the ground, something incredible happens. Jesus is saying to them, you want to meet me? I'm about to do something that is going to enable you not just to meet me, not just to know me, but to belong to me, to be part of my family. I'm about to do something that, that the Jewish people had never quite got their heads around, not fully. I'm going to make a way for people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, Jews and non-Jews, to belong to me and to become part of my family and to belong to each other. He said to them, you're never going to have to stand on the outside looking in again if you get this. See, he says in the story that one seed becomes many. He's talking about salvation There's echoes of Genesis 3 rippling through this. Do you remember when the fall happened? When Adam and Eve sinned and broke obedience and broke covenant with God, broke trust with God, and and God shows up in the garden and he says, you've wrecked it. You've wrecked it. You've, You've broken relationship with me and life's gonna be really hard now. There are consequences to this. But but he says, Do you know what? He says to the woman, Do you know what? You're seed is going to fix everything. Your offspring, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to strike at his heel, but your seed is going to crush the head of the enemy who has caused this to happen. The ripples of the promise right at the start of the Bible coming to Jesus, unless a single seed is talking about Jesus falls in the ground and dies. It's talking about the cross. 
is talking about the tomb, it remains alone. But if it dies, it springs forth into a harvest of many seeds, a harvest of multiple lives. It's talking about the resurrection. It's talking about Jesus being the first fruits of what God is going to do amongst people from every tribe and tongue and language of what God is going to do in the creation itself, that resurrection promise of new life working itself out. This seed is talking about salvation. It's the reason you guys are most of you are here tonight because you have experienced the, the death and the resurrection part of Jesus in your life, bringing forgiveness, bringing transformation, bringing new life to you. But I want you to see something else here. The one seed becomes many seeds. The one seed becomes many seeds, not all different but they're all birthed from the one. They share the same spiritual DNA, the same identity as the one, the same purpose as the one. What Jesus is doing is, is birthing a new humanity. Not just for the Jewish people, not just for, for the people who look a certain way, sound a certain way, think a certain way, vote a certain way. What Jesus is doing is for everybody. And when you accept it, you are brought into a new family, a new humanity, a new way of being. Not just as an individual, but as a community of many seeds. The Bible uses all kinds of analogies to, to describe this. It talks about the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We're all connected. Paul talks about the body, that the church is the body of Christ, that we are all different parts of the body. You've seen lots of people on stage tonight. We're all different parts of the body. Every part is necessary. Jesus is the head. You cut an arm off. How do you scratch your nose? You cut a leg off. How do you run a race? What Jesus is doing is birthing a new humanity that is interconnected, interdependent, a shared identity, and a shared purpose. Jesus practiced this himself. In Matthew 12 and in, in, in three of the Gospels, he tells this story, this story is told where Jesus is inside a house and he's, he's leading a group of disciples, he's preaching a sermon, and his mom brothers and sisters come and somebody goes, Jesus, your family's outside. And Jesus says, here are my brothers and sisters and mother. Here is my family. He's not dissing his biological family. What he's saying is he has come to build a family of people whose relationships are so strong and so interconnected and so dependent on each other and so trusting of each other, church family should feel like biological family. That's ridiculous, isn't it? It sounds nice. We use that language, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? And yet when we go to the early church, Jesus has died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, revival breaks out, 3,000 people get saved, it's an incredible day, 
And then at the tail end of that incredible passage, we see these few verses in Acts chapter two where Luke describes the new humanity that is birthed from the seed that is Jesus. That they worshiped together and they prayed for one another and they shared everything they had with each other and they carried one another's burdens and they championed one another and they loved each other sacrificially. They became like family to one another, kingdom family, church family. And we've tasted that here at Orangefield, at least some of us have sometimes. But we also feel the pain when it's not the reality. We lament when it's not the reality. A few weeks ago, we we shared a story about home groups, And we shared a really idealistic story about somebody who had this phenomenal experience in home groups. And somebody came to me confidentially and privately. And I'm not going to say who they were, but they just said, that hasn't been our experience. We would love that to be our experience. Well, that hasn't been our experience. We long for this vision of church as family, of deeply connected relationships, that the Bible shows us that Jesus died to create within us, and yet we lament when it's not our reality, don't we? There's something in us that longs for, that knows there's more, there's more. This idea of being deeply connected. There's a cost to it. There's a cost to community. This prophetic picture that Jesus gives us, this picture of salvation, of course it's a picture of salvation. We get that. But it's also the pattern of our apprenticeship. Let me throw a verse up on the screen. Can we go to, is there a verse coming, Jim? There we go. There's the promise Jesus gives. I tell you, unless a grain of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many seeds. He's talking about himself. But then he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. This picture Jesus gives is the picture of our salvation, but it is also the pattern of our apprenticeship to Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. The birthing of a new humanity, the birthing of the church, it cost Jesus his life. We step into that new family of God completely by grace, completely by what he has done for us. But for us to develop and maintain those deeply connected, committed relationships, it's going to cost us something. It doesn't come easily. It's going to cost us something. It cost Jesus something. It's going to cost us something as well. Many of you know this story um, because you've been living it with Lara and myself, but earlier this year, back in, in January, Lara was diagnosed with cancer. And Many of you have walked and are walking similar paths. I get that. We made a decision together to be open about what was happening with our church family. We wanted to tell you what was happening. We wanted to invite you to pray for us. We wanted to allow you to just come around us and love us and help us. 
We did it not because we think we're anything more special than anybody else. I'm the minister. That does not elevate me. That just is what I do. Every person here has a purpose in this place. My purpose is no different. We shared the story with you because we wanted to ask you to be like family to us, to pray with us and for us, to, to care for us and to carry us in the moments where we felt like we were falling apart. And you did, and thank you for that. But it was really hard to share that with you. I remember sitting in session and choking over the words with tears in my eyes last January, sharing it with my elders, not able to get the words out, and at the end of the meeting, them coming up and hugging me and praying with me. There's a cost to that level of vulnerability. It's hard. It's hard to do. For the extroverts, it means slowing down, being honest and vulnerable about how you really are, not rushing from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But for the introverts, the cost is different. The cost for you is being brave and speaking up, knowing that you are not going to be rejected. For the sick and for the suffering, the cost that we have been walking in this season is having the courage to say, I'm struggling, I'm falling apart, I need help. And knowing that you will be seen and knowing that you will be loved and knowing that at the pace you want people to, they will be there for you and they will carry you if you need them to. For those with disabilities, it's taking a risk. It's coming and it's knowing that you will not be ignored. It's knowing that you will be seen and you will be cherished because you are an integral part of this church family. For those of you, and statistically, there, there will be some who are same-sex attracted. It's having the courage to be honest about who you are and about the struggles you feel, knowing that you will not be gossiped about, but as you choose to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you will be invited to tables and into families and will be called brother and will be called sister and will be called... For those of you with questions, questions about faith and questions about church and questions about life, the cost to you is, is having the courage to ask those questions, knowing that th this is a place that you can ask questions and deconstruct and not feel pressure to agree with everything that's said, knowing that this is a place where together we will encounter truth. For those of you who are on the fringe, who are standing at the door, who haven't quite stepped in, it's being brave and stepping in and saying, hey, I'm new. Would you like to get a coffee with me and tell me a little bit about the church? Or how do I join a home group? Or I'd love to serve with the lunch club. I'm really good at catering. Can I help with that? Take a step. But here's the thing, church, the greatest cost is not to any of those people. The greatest cost of becoming this new humanity, the, a church with deep connections that loves each other well, where nobody is left out, where everybody is welcomed in, the greatest cost is to those who are already at the center, who have 
deeply committed relationships who feel so at home here, who feel familiar and, and trust the people around them. The cost to you is this, is to open up your arms and take a small step backwards so somebody else can come into your home group or somebody different can come to your table. It's taking your eyes off the people who you've seen and loved for years and just looking to see who's on the fringe, who's standing on their own, and then being intentional and walking across, sacrificing that conversation to go and have this conversation. There's a cost for us becoming deeply connected, not just some, but all. What would it look like for Orangefield to be a space where everyone is seen, where everyone is honored, where everyone is listened to, and where everyone is loved, and where that's not just language, but that's the lived experience and the felt reality? What would it look like for Orangefield to be a space where there is such a hunger to encounter the living God and to help others become more like Jesus, that we're willing to inconvenience ourselves and sacrifice to help others walk more closely with Jesus? What would it look like to take this beautiful gift of generosity that we have been, been gifted by God and to step even more deeply into it. Every single person committed to carrying one another. Every single person committed to giving what we have to bring life, not just to the people in this building, but to the people in this city. What would it look like for Orangefield to be a space where traditions are honored, but new ideas are birthed and celebrated? A place of leaders who, who look across this city and who rebuke cynicism and rebuke hopelessness and instead dream with the Holy Spirit and where others see problems, we see possibilities and potential. Churches are struggling, we see a way for them to be renewed. There's part of the city where nobody knows Jesus. What does it look like for us to step in there and be church and do mission and, and, and maybe even plant the church there? What does it look like to birth new businesses in parts of the city where people are struggling to bring about regeneration and to do it so that we have an opportunity to talk to people about the love of God, that he cares for them and values them? What would it look like for kingdom culture to influence every sphere of society and culture across Belfast because every single person that gathers here on a Sunday is on fire with the Holy Spirit and it just leaks out of them when they walk into work or when they sit at their table? What would it look like for Orangefield to be a place where the world looks in and they see what's going on through our glass walls and glass windows and coffee shop and they see a group of people who are so deeply committed to one another and so deeply committed to God and are living like I've just described. I suspect that they won't fully get it. And I suspect that they will have questions. 
But I can promise you this, in a world where one in three people feel lonely and isolated, some are most of the time, if we get this right, it may be the most powerful evangelistic tool in this city. As people look and say, that's what I want. What of those Christians in Orangefield got? That's what I want. And it creates space to say, come on in. Let me buy you a coffee. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on stage. We're going to take maybe five, ten minutes to worship, and then we're going to bring tonight to a close, praying a prayer together. As the band are plugging in, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to invite during the worship time uh, a response, please. Did, did all of you, did some of you get a little plastic figure in the way of the church? Did anyone not get it? Be honest. A couple didn't. If we can find the box and leave it on the communion table in the center, that'd be super helpful. There was a box out in the vestibule. If somebody can nip out and grab it for me, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing and then we're going to pray again. And then we're going to bring our service to a close. Jim, can you put up the, the picture on the screen of the church, the very first slide I had? Let's pray for a second. Father, we ask you to pour your spirit out in this place even now and to minister to your people. God, there are people here tonight who are confused, maybe feeling that we already are this, and for some we are. But for others we're not. God, open our eyes to see the needs of others clearly. Father, there's people in this place who, who have been hurt, who have come tonight longing for something new but, but scared that maybe it's going to happen again. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and rest on those people now. And where there are wounds, I ask you to identify them and to heal them. where there are relationships that are broken, are fractured, or fragile, I ask that you begin the work of reconciliation in their lives that you brought to completion at the cross. Father, I ask that you do a supernatural work in each one of our lives Allowing us to feel about the people in this room the way you feel about the people in this room. And I pray, come Holy Spirit and release in each person here tonight that, that Father's heart, the Father heart of God. 
that ability to love other people, even to the point where it hurts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.